Well, good morning, church. Hey, uh, this morning we're continuing our series. Uh, we're calling When Jesus Comes to Church. And uh, what we've been exploring in this series is just that. Like, what would happen if Jesus just walked into our worship space here and then was with us? Like, what would Jesus say? Um, it's kind of what we're exploring. And um, in the book of Revelation, there are these seven churches, and Jesus decides that he's going to write seven letters to these seven churches. He does it through um, the apostle John. And, and in these seven, later, these seven letters, really what Jesus does is he comes to church and he says, hey, um, we need to talk. And it kind of reminds me of, um, do you know who Frank Costanza is? Anyone in the room? I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. Not really. That's really not what Jesus is going to do. Um, Jesus shows up, and he has something to say to these seven churches, and the things that he has to say, yes, there's some challenges, and there's some struggles, and there's some correction, but there's also lots of admonishment and encouragement as well. It's what Jesus always does. Anytime we're dealing with Jesus, this is what Jesus does. He speaks to his people with great compassion. And then he speaks piercing truth at the exact same time, compassion and truth all in one. And so we've been walking through these seven letters that Jesus wrote to these seven churches in Revelation and listening in, like what was Jesus saying to these churches? And, you know, we recognize, especially when we read um, the Bible, that anytime we're reading the Bible, yes, there's something that happened in a particular time, in a particular place, sometimes thousands and thousands of years ago, but... The way that the Bible works is that Jesus speaks to us through those same words even today. And so that's what we want to do in this series. Um, the church we're visiting this morning is the church of Thyatira. Um, it's not the same as Wonder Woman's land. Uh, that's Themyscira. Um, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I'm a nerd and you're not. That's kind of how it works. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, our scripture reading this morning is found in Revelation 2. Uh, verses 18 through 29. If you have one of the um, Worship Center Bibles, that's page 992, if that makes it a little quicker for you. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Tom Tom. Wherever you are, you can head on up when you're ready. In church, what we do, if you're able to, is we stand and we face the center of the room where the uh, scripture is read. And the reason we do this week after week is to remind ourselves that this is where scripture ought to be. It should be in the center of our lives because it's the story of Jesus. So, when you're ready, Tom. To the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, and so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to those, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. 
To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Tom. You all may take a seat. Just leave your Bibles open to uh, Revelation 2. We'll be revisiting that quite a bit this morning. Um, I'm a person who has learned to love good questions. Um, One of the things I've learned is that a good question has the ability to peel back the layers and drill down kind of beneath the surface really quickly. And people that are good at asking good questions, I've learned to really appreciate people like that. Um, There's a quote that I heard years ago, and it kind of just stuck with me. The quote says this. It says, Who questions much shall learn much and retain much. There's a relationship between asking questions and learning. When we ask good questions, we're not just passive, we actually learn something. And so a question matters, a good question matters. Now that quote comes from a man named Francis Bacon. So I, you know, his last name's Bacon. He's really trustworthy. Um, So um, in the Bible, there are all kinds of really good questions that are asked. And one of those questions is found near the end of um, the Gospels in the story of Jesus. There's this moment um, where Jesus has been arrested, and he's um, sitting and he's talking to the governor of Judea, and uh, his name's Pontius Pilate, and they're having this conversation. And the conversation's about, well, who in the world is this Jesus person? Like, who is, is he Lord? Is, is, is he really king of the Jews? Is he's not? Like, what in the world is going on here? And I want to show you something from that exchange. Um, John 18, uh, starting in verse 37. If you have the worship center Bibles, that's page 879. I want to show you something here. So Jesus and Pilate are having a conversation about Jesus' identity. And there's a moment where Jesus responds uh, to Pilate. And this is what he says. He says, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And it's how Pilate responds here. He says, what is truth? That is a great question. What is truth? Now, as I've thought about this question that Pilate asked, there's a couple different ways you can go, but I think really what Pilate is asking here when he's speaking with Jesus is, what is your source of truth? Like, what is the bedrock where you can depend on whatever that bedrock has set on it? Is there even a place in the world that can give us concrete, authoritative truth. Does that even exist, I think, is what Pilate is asking. And he's asking for a reason, because in that day, Pilate's world was complicated. There, were, there was the Roman pantheon, the Roman gods, and every single one of those gods was making a truth claim, every single one of them. Then there's this Roman emperor, and then the Roman emperor's seat would empty, and a new emperor would come on the scene, and then it would empty, and a new emperor would come on the scene. And they all came and said, I speak the truth. I am the bedrock of truth. I'm the source here. And then in the Roman Empire at the time, there's all kinds of little, small religions that are popping up on the scene. And every single one of them is saying, hey, um, we have the truth. We have the truth. And now Jesus is standing before Pilate, and then Pilate says, what is the truth to a person who says, oh, by the way, I have the truth. 
Well, it's a great question. What is truth? Where does truth come from? You know, that question is the question of our scripture reading this morning. It's the question of the church in Thyatira. Jesus walks into the door of the church in Thyatira and says, hey, what's your source of truth? Really, what is it? If you read between the lines here in our scripture reading, that's really what is being asked. You know, if you have your Bibles, um, just return to Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. We're going to just touch on that a second. And as we dig into this passage, I want us to uncover that question, what is truth? What is the source of truth for them and for us today? Now, when you read this passage, I think the first thing that pops into our head is Jezebel. Who in the world is Jezebel? Um, apparently, there was a, a woman who came to the church in Thyatira, maybe a little bit later, we don't really know, um, who believed that she was a prophetess. And this woman, um, as a prophetess, she would receive what she said, teaching or the words from God, and then her job was to teach that to the church around her is what she believed. And the name Jesus uses to talk about this prophetess is the name Jezebel. Now, it's really likely that this person, this woman, her name is not really Jezebel. Jesus is trying to say something else by using the name Jezebel. It's kind of like when I'm walking around town and then someone says, hey, easy up there, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. That's never happened, actually. But one day, you know, one day we'll get there. Um, but it's kind of like that. Like, of course, I'm not the Ryan Gosling. And I actually don't really, like, resemble him at all either. Um, but it's kind of like uh, the old phrase, um, Benedict Arnold. You don't want to be a Benedict Arnold. You're like a traitor or whatever, right? When you get called that, well, that's, you know, that's a bad thing. To call someone a Jezebel was a way to characterize a person. Now, Jezebel was a real figure in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament. She was the wife of one of the kings of Israel, um, the king Ahab of the kingdom of Israel. And one of the first things in the Bible um, that, that talks about Jezebel says this in 1 Kings. Just listen to this. It says, Truly, there was no one like this king Ahab who had sold himself by doing evil in the eyes of Yahweh, whose wife Jezebel urged him on. Jezebel was like the devil on Ahab's shoulder, urging him on to do more and more evil things, to walk in an opposite direction of what he knew the Lord wanted him to. Um, in fact, Jezebel was the one responsible for convincing King Ahab in the story um, to uh, turn to Baal worship, to worship idols, to worship false gods, other gods. Um, it was Jezebel who became known as, she, she earned the nickname as the prophet killer. She was the one that went through and killed uh, many, many prophets of the Lord in her time as well. And so Jezebel, the name Jezebel, became a shorthand way of talking about a certain kind of person. The kind of person that leads people away from the truth. The kind of person that deceives God's people and urges them to walk a different direction, down a path that's not God's direction. And you see, this is exactly what this Jezebel in our scripture reading does. She points the church in Thyatira into a different direction, a direction away from God. Jezebel shows up, and Jesus says that she does two things when she shows up. 
Um, she teaches in such a way that the church falls into sexual immorality and eating foods sacrificed to idols or false gods. And then later, Jesus says again that this Jezebel was teaching Satan's so-called deep secrets, is what our scripture reading says. She was teaching the secrets, um, like underground theology or something like that. Now, I think the question is, the church in Thyatira, they're good people. Like, they're faithful people. Um, they persevere. If you read the first chunk of our scripture reading, that's what Jesus says. Like, you work hard. You do a good job. You persevere. Good for you. But then how in the world did they fall into following this Jezebel character? And I think it probably has to do with the second thing, this um, secret teachings of Satan thing. Um, in the ancient world, um, people would say, hey, I have a teaching that you've not heard of before. It's a secret teaching. Do you want to hear about it? And that was tantalizing in the ancient world. Like, oh man, you have something that no one else knows? I need to hear that. And so I'm assuming the church in Thyatira says, let us hear this truth. And then they fell prey to it. And so if you were to ask a Christian in the church of Thyatira, hey, what's the source of truth for you? Many of them would probably say, this prophetesses. It's her teachings. We trust her. She's the source of truth. Now, here's the thing. We are currently living in a time, I think, where we are all asking the same question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? And asking the same question that I think Jesus is asking the church in Thyatira. What is your source of truth? We are all asking the what is truth question in our nation right now. And what's amazing is we're all beginning to answer that question differently, like never before. If we talk to people and say, hey, what is your source of truth? Some people might say, hey, I'm a news junkie. My primary source of truth is Fox News or CNN or some online news company, right? Like that is the thing that I trust. I will believe anything that those people say. Or we might say in our culture today, science. Like, science is my source of truth. Whatever is scientifically verifiable, that is my source of truth. That's what is true. Or others in our culture, and I think this is a growing movement that we've seen for years now, is we say, my experience is my source of truth. The things that make me feel good and then don't hurt other people, that is my source of truth. In some sense, I'm my source of truth. And then in our culture today, there's the rise of all of these gurus, right? All these people that are supposed experts on all kinds of different things. We have podcasters and some preachers and some TV personalities and book authors, all that kind of stuff. And we would say maybe those people, I trust those people 100%. That is my source of truth. I guess the question is, what's your source of truth? What do you rely on to get the truth in your life? You know, for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, um, there's the Sunday school answers, right? And I bet you already thought of some of them, right? Well, Jesus is my source of truth. Duh, right? Jesus is. Um, the Bible. The Bible is my source of truth. Or we would say God is my source of truth. And of course, like, yeah, that's... That's certainly what I think the right answer is, too. But if we take an honest look at our lives, we look at our weeks, we look at our days, we look at um, just the minutes of our lives when we're looking for something, how often is it that it's actually in Jesus or the Bible or God that we're turning to as our source of truth? 
I mean, just to get real, like, I'm certain that there's plenty of us in this room where the scripture reading this morning was the first time that we cracked a Bible. And we're going to say God is our source of truth. Is it? Is God our source of truth? You see, Jesus wants us to know what our source of truth is. Jesus wants us to know because it actually matters what you rely on for truth. It really does. Because Jesus knows something about how truth works. Jesus knows that the truth that we choose to trust in will shape us. It will shape all kinds of things about us, the way that we behave, all of it. And the truth that we choose to trust in will certainly shape our behavior. It will shape what we do. And that matters to Jesus. It's exactly what happens to this church in Thyatira. Um, In Revelation 2.20, right, in our scripture reading, it says, Jesus writes to this church and says, look, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Thyatira, you trust in this other source for truth and look at what happened to you. You are now struggling with sexual immorality and you're eating food sacrificed to idols. Like, those are low-level things. Like, everybody knows that's in faith that you don't do those things. But here you are. You see, our source for truth will always dictate our behavior. Always. Our behavior will always follow close behind what we believe, what we truly believe. And kind of the opposite is true as well. Like if we think that we believe something, we're like, I believe that this thing is true, and it has zero effect on what we do in our lives, the question is, do we really believe that? Do we? You know, there's a Christian thinker. His name is uh, Dallas Willard, and um, he once wrote on this topic, and this is what he said. He said, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it, we believe something when we act as if it were true. If you believe that you have superpowers to fly, which would be awesome, and, and you refuse to go up to the top of a building and jump off to actually fly, I don't know that you actually believe that. And it's true for our faith as well. What is truth? What honestly is our source for truth? You see, Jesus kind of gives an answer to that, to the church in Thyatira. You know, if you have your Bible, look at um, Revelation 2, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus is saying, hold on to the truth that you received before this Jezebel person arrived on the scene and then wait for me, is what Jesus says. And what is the truth that this church had? What is it? It's basic. 
but it's one of the most hard-to-believe basic truths. You know, John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus is talking and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. If we want to know the truth, the source of absolute concrete truth in our lives, it will never be found on a website. It will never be found in a charismatic speaker or leader. It won't be. Jesus says it's only found in him. Jesus says, I am the truth. Truth is a person. It's only one person, Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the truth. And, and any other truth at all that we put before Jesus is only a Jezebel in our lives. It will lead us astray. Jesus is the truth. In order to know the truth, we must know Jesus. We must have a relationship, a friendship with Jesus. You know, I don't know how you're feeling these days, but I feel like truth is getting harder and harder to find. Anyone really into politics right now? Yikes, right? I have no idea what to believe about anything, and I bet you're probably in a similar boat. And it's not just in that avenue, right? I don't know what I trust about a whole lot of areas in our culture anymore these days. I don't know where the spin starts and the truth stops. I really don't know. And perhaps you're feeling that as well, too. Jesus says, don't worry about that. I'm the truth. Come to me. Jesus says, trust me. And you see, we can trust him. We can trust Jesus. You know, the people that we trust, and maybe you had some really good parents, um, but good parents are a great example of people we can trust. A good parent is that person who will sacrifice anything for you because they care about you, right? That's a good parent. That's someone you're going to trust. And then we have Jesus who sacrifices everything for us. And he hangs on a cross, bloodied, and then he dies. And he says, do you trust me now? I'll do that for you. Do you trust me? And I guess that's the question this morning. Do you trust Jesus? Like when it comes down to it, do you really trust him? And if you're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I trust Jesus. I really do. Like, I, I, I just know it. Does your life resemble that at all? Does it? Or does it resemble something else? Do you trust him? Um, in a moment, we're going to worship together. And as we do, like... Many of us in the room have different experiences to worship, right? Like some of us, we are just like, we love to sing and we're in it to win it, baby, right? That's where some of us are. And then there's others who we can make a noise, but it's not good. So we don't really like to make a noise. 
And then there's others of us where we're in this space and we've got anxieties on our mind and distractions on our mind and we just are struggling to simply even pay attention because there's so much else going on in our lives. But here's the thing. When we come to this space and we worship together, we are spending time with the truth, with the truth, the truth personified. We're spending time with Jesus. You know, we're going to sing a bunch of songs and we're going to, you know, sing through a lot of words when we sing these songs. And here's the thing. In those songs, it's telling us about our gods. It's telling us about Jesus. Get to know Jesus because you'll get to know the truth. And so when we sing, I challenge you, just sing. Sing it out and then pay attention to every single word you, you say, you sing. Because you're spending time with the truth. And in our day and age, man, don't we need a little bit more of that? Don't we? So let's pray and then we'll, we'll turn to worship. Jesus, you tell us that you're the truth. And God, when we look at our lives, all of the thrills and the spills, the successes and failures, those high tide moments and the low tide moments, God, we recognize that it's tremendously difficult to trust you when we have no reason not to. And God, we ask this morning, um, send your spirit upon us Soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. Allow us to see you and experience you and trust you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for that amazing um, sacrifice that you gave us simply to tell us that you're trustworthy, God. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?